Monday night. It's 8 o'clock. It's Health Watch Radio. I'm your host every week, Dr. Jacques Dweck. And tonight we have a special guest. It's Dr. Lev Grinman. Dr. Grinman, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thanks for having me. Great, great. So, Dr. Lev Grinman, let me tell you a little bit about why I have him on the show and a little bit about himself. He is a board-certified in sleep medicine and in neurology. He's named as one of the best sleep doctors in the U.S. by Sleep Review Magazine in 2012. He's published on the topic of sleep apnea. He's conducted research at Sloan Kettering. He has his uh, internal medicine degree and, of course, his neurology degree. Uh, I got involved with Dr. Grinman because one of the biggest barriers for people who are snoring and have excessive daytime sleepiness. They're tired during the day. They're, they're, having, they're, they're not getting refreshing sleep in the morning. They wake up, they're tired. They slept eight hours, they're still tired. One of, one of the biggest barriers for these people in getting treatment is getting the diagnosis because to get a diagnosis, normally you would have to sleep in a sleep lab or in a hospital overnight without your family there, a video camera recording you, you're hooked up to 18 wires, and a lot of people just say, that's not for me. So what Dr. Grinman has done, he has a company called Home Sleep LLC. He has a company, and what he does is he will send to the patient's home a sleep test device. The patient uses it. It's very simple to learn. They put it on at home, follow the instructions, put it back in the box, put it in the mailbox. It's returned to home sleep. They get, they read the, the, the information that's in the computer in there. It's a little small computerized box. They read the information, they get a diagnosis, and the diagnosis is sent to me and to the physician. So that, Dr. Grinman, has really helped a lot, a lot of people get treated for their snoring and excessive daytime sleepiness by making it easier for them to get that hurdle, get over that hurdle of the sleep test by being able to do it at home. I think I, I think I said a lot of stuff there, right? Yes, Dr. Jorak, absolutely. Thanks for that introduction, and I think you hit it on the head as far as uh, what we do and what my company does. So let, let's rewind a little bit and talk to our listeners about what is obstructive sleep apnea. What, what is it exactly? So obstructive sleep apnea is actually a very, very common condition. Um, it is a disorder where a person, while they sleep, um, stops breathing. And that may occur um, a few times during the night, uh, but if somebody actually has significant apnea, it may occur tens, if not hundreds of times, uh, while a person sleeps. Um, that will occur because the, uh, there is a collapse in the airway, in the upper airway, typically at the level of the throat or a little bit higher. Um, and the, one of the first symptoms that a person will have is snoring. Um, but if, it, if the you know, uh, obstruction gets more severe, air will literally not go in through your airways, and a person will stop breathing for a period of time. Right. So that... that stopping of breathing, what does that really do to them compared to if you told somebody, don't breathe now for 15 seconds, if they're right. awake and you tell them don't breathe, it's really not going to affect them so much. Why is it so different when they're sleeping? Well, 
The fact is, um, these pauses can be much longer in sleep than they are while a person is awake. Sometimes if you tell somebody to hold their breath for 10, 20 seconds, they can do it and be okay. But in sleep, um, these repeated episodes, one after the other, and if some of these episodes can last 30, 40, even 50 seconds or more, um, can really have a detrimental effect on uh, what's going on in the body. A person's uh, blood oxygen levels will drop after they're not breathing for a period of time, and that will significantly impact the way that their body is functioning. Oxygen will not get to the brain. Oxygen will not get to other tissues, and the body will be very stressed because of all these changes. Right. So, you know, I try to tell my patients, because they want to understand, why, it, why am I so tired? So I try to tell them like this, you know, your body needs to be at a certain level of sleep that is a refreshing sleep. And that is, we'll, if, we, if we give each level a, a, a number, it's level one, two, and three, that's level three sleep. And as soon as you try to go into that level three sleep, these apneic events, these, these stopping of breathing pulls you out. It doesn't wake you up, but it pulls you out of that level three and puts you into level two, which is non-refreshing. Is absolutely, that- absolutely. And, uh, you know, in order for a person to be rested during the day, um, they really need to have that continuous sleep. And it's important to go through all the stages of sleep and to get into the deeper stages of sleep and the REM sleep. Um, The deep stages of sleep and REM sleep are the times during the night where we're getting the most sort of resetting of our clocks and our memories, etc. And um, if we don't go through those stages and if we're constantly bouncing between stages, uh, a person is just not going to be um, refreshed during the day. Right. So who is at risk for obstructive sleep apnea? Who is at risk? Well, that's a good question. Um, typically, as we get older, um, our risk increases. And that has to do with the fact that when we sleep, um, as I said, during sleep apnea, during these apneic events, our airways collapse. Part of that has to do with the innate um, muscle tone that exists. Our muscle tone tends to get a little bit floppier as we, you know, it's not as good as when we're older as compared to when we're younger. So the airways are a little bit more prone to collapsing. And so when you take age into consideration, I think the most prevalent time in somebody's life to have significant sleep apnea, it starts in middle age for most people, though that's not always the case. Um, the other big factor to consider is body weight. Um, when a person puts on weight, it happens in all parts of their body, including around their airways. And having extra tissue, extra, extra fat in the um, upper airways will tend to um, contribute to the closing of the airways by pushing uh, pushing down and, and, and uh, basically closing off those airways. So obesity is a very, very big contributor to um, sleep apnea. Right. So, so we got age and weight. What, what about gender? Uh, what are you seeing? I know that in my practice, well, I would say most of the, my patients that are coming in probably, I don't know, three to one, four to one on men versus women. You know, literature has shown that it probably is predominantly, it's more common in males than it is in females. Um, there's been some debate as to whether or not degree of sleep apnea has a bigger effect on health in males versus females. But I think overall, um, it's important to look at symptoms of sleep apnea in both sexes. But I do tend to agree, and studies have borne this out, that it's probably a little bit more common in men 
um, than it is in women. Right. Although what I see is in the older women, once they once they're hitting their their late forties, fifties, and they hit menopause, that we're going to see them have almost an equal amount with the with yes. the men. It's possible. Um, some have postulated that testosterone may play a role, and we know that um, elderly patients who are on, for example, elderly males will sometimes be on testosterone supplementation for different reasons. And we do know that testosterone is a risk factor for sleep apnea. So uh, because obviously men have greater levels of testosterone um, during, uh, during their lives compared to women, um, for most of their lives anyway, um, they are, that may be one of the things that contributes to the development of a higher level of sleep apnea in men. Right. So now, we, we have patients, and, and if you just joined us, it's uh, Health Watch Radio. I'm your host every week, Dr. Jacques Dweck. Our special guest tonight is Dr. Lev Grinman. He's board certified in sleep medicine and in neurology. We're talking about... Well, we started off talking about home sleep studies, but now we're doing a little bit of a background discussion about the whole problem of sleep apnea and why people who are snoring and tired all the time, where it really is coming from. And that is this blockage in their breathing while they're sleeping, which knocks out the oxygen going to the brain and the other tissues of the body and is affecting them in many ways. One of the ways is, as we mentioned before, uh, the inability to get the refreshing sleep because they're not going through all the stages of sleep that they're supposed to be or not spending enough time in each stage. So what what are the symptoms that you're seeing? I mean, we talked about maybe signs. I don't know. Snoring is one of them. Uh, ex- excessive daytime sleepiness. But I know there are more than, than that. What else are you seeing? Uh, absolutely. So there's several classic features that are seen in patients with sleep apnea. Some of the more common ones are can be certainly choking and gasping during sleep, um, though not all patients with sleep apnea will remember doing that. Um, their bed partner may also notice, of course, that their uh, patient or the person has pauses in their breathing. It's, it's very common for a person with sleep apnea to wake up with a dry mouth and sometimes a sore throat. Um, patients who have more significant levels of sleep apnea will often wake up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom. And it's a complicated um, sort of pathway as to why that happens. It actually has to do with the pressure of, that's being put on the heart by the sleep apnea. And that sounds pretty serious, and it is. And that can actually cause a person to go to the bathroom more often uh, to urinate during the night. Um, and, of course, as we said, um, being uh, fatigued upon awakening is very common. Being tired during the day is, is also very uh, frequent and can be dangerous, especially if somebody operates a car or a- any other form of, uh, you know, heavy machinery perhaps. Uh, you know, as you can imagine, there's thousands of bus drivers, train drivers um, all across New York City, and many of them may have sleep apnea, and that's, that's something very, that's very serious and that was always on the back of my mind. You know, we mentioned before that the risk factors besides age and gender, the key risk factor that you mentioned is weight. And I'm wondering what you're seeing in terms of how weight is getting affected by the sleep apnea. In other words, is this a vicious cycle that the sleep apnea is making it more difficult to lose the weight or actually causing them to gain weight? Absolutely. Um, there's been a lot of good research showing that um, appetite is 
um, affected by sleep, meaning a person who is chronically sleep-deprived will have a greater degree of appetite and will also tend to gravitate towards eating um, foods that are um, probably higher in calories um, and are not as uh, nutritionally sound uh, compared to a person who is not sleep-deprived. So imagine being tired, um, having a greater appetite, and also in addition to that, if you're tired, you really don't have the energy to, to exercise as much. And so it, it's indeed a vicious cycle where a person will be more sedentary, uh, will probably be eating more during the times that they're awake, and so and will continue to gain weight and get more tired and have more sleep apnea, and so and that circle will keep going. Wow. So, so somebody who is already struggling with weight and they're really not realizing that one of the things that's really holding them back is the fact that they're not treating their condition of sleep apnea, which is just making them have a, a greater appetite, want higher calorie foods, make them less energetic, less able to exercise. So the thing keeps going back and back and back. Absolutely. And, then, <laughs> and in addition to that, um, sleep apnea is very closely linked to depressed mood. Um, that's one of the other conditions that's closely intertwined with sleep apnea. And patients may be, you know, people may be uh, misdiagnosed with depression, uh, where really it just could be very closely related to the fact that they're not sleeping well. And when somebody's depressed, they're also really not energetic enough to do uh, physical activity. Wow. wow. So that's, that's something for a lot of our listeners to keep in mind, that the things that we're treating with sleep apnea, which normally the, the main people, the main reason that people come to, to see me regarding sleep apnea is they say, you know what, I'm snoring, I'm tired, I'm snoring, I'm tired. That's what I hear almost routinely, but they don't realize that other things that they're experiencing in their life, maybe the fact that they're gaining weight is being caused by the fact that they have this sleep apnea, the fact that they may be in a depressed mood being caused by this by this sleep absolutely and not only that we you know we've talked about the symptoms but there are also other medical conditions that are that are being uh, probably caused or exacerbated by the sleep apnea this includes blood pressure problems uh, high blood pressure patients who are on multiple blood pressure medications they can't seem to get it under control very often that's caused by sleep apnea one of the most common causes of irregular heart rhythm that isn't can't be managed properly medically is also caused by sleep apnea, and that's because of all the stress that gets put on the heart uh, by this condition. Um, diabetes, which is a condition that's linked to type 2 diabetes, linked to uh, being overweight, um, can also be um, exacerbated by sleep apnea, and there's been studies recently showing that um, blood sugars are, cannot be controlled as well when somebody's diabetic, um, and therefore um, we're, we're we're now seeing a lot more endocrinologists, the specialists who are treating uh, diabetes, referring patients for sleep studies because they realize um, that the diabetes may be affecting, uh, that the sleep apnea may be an underlying cause that's affecting their diabetes. You know, one of the things that I had read regarding diabetes was that just as we mentioned before, when somebody is not breathing, so it's like you're being choked while you're sleeping. So the body is sending out the message that you know it needs to get it needs to open up the airway and it needs to get oxygen. So what happens? Your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up. But another thing that happens just as when we're in a f fight or flight, 
when we're ready to, 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 to run away, what we need to do is we need to have more energy so we bring more glucose into the bloodstream. Correct. So Correct. there you go again, stimulating that whole insulin problem and then becoming insulin resistant, and then we, we end up with making the diabetes another factor that comes out from the sleep apnea. So we see there's a lot of reasons why people should get treated if they do have sleep apnea. But again, like I started in the beginning of the show, the main reason that people I see are not getting the diagnosis or have delayed getting a diagnosis is because they don't want to sleep in a sleep lab. They don't want to have video cameras on them and 18 wires and be away from their home and be in, in, in a strange environment. And that was, for most of the patients that I've seen, the main reason that they have been avoiding getting a diagnosis. So let's talk about sleep studies that are done at the home and how, how do, first of all, how do they work? And then how do the physicians look at these results and how do the insurance companies look at these results? Um, sure, we can definitely talk about all of those things. Um, one of the reasons we had, um, I had started this company with, with, you know, with my partners was because a lot of patients were simply not wanting to go to the sleep lab, as Dr. Dewick said. And I used to be a medical director of a sleep lab in New York City, and we just found that that was a huge problem. Um, there's, there was a very big change in the field of sleep that came about 2008 when Medicare um, approved the use of home sleep testing devices for the diagnosis of sleep apnea. And since then, um, it's really spread like wildfire to other insurance companies accepting uh, this method of testing and very even more recently um, suggesting that it should actually be used as first line for the diagnosis of this disease. Um, what makes home sleep testing great is that it's convenient for patients and it, it also makes the doctor look good because their patients are happier. Um, there are several different devices that are out there um, and they all work you know, based on the same uh, sort of um, concept in that they measure certain parameters that are affected during sleep, um, that being oxygen levels, um, pulse. Um, they will also look at the breathing patterns or during sleep, of course, and some of them do it directly and others actually do it indirectly. Uh, there's a device that we use that's worn on the wrist, and it can tell us whether, you know, how the patient is breathing while they sleep without actually looking uh, or, you know, uh, at their airways, so to speak. Um, and uh, some of these devices will also be able to uh, tell us what position the patient is in while they sleep, how, you know, how they turn to one side versus another, and how that's affecting their breathing. And finally, um, many of these things will also have snoring sensors, so we can actually tell how loud somebody is um, snoring. Um, when you take all of these different parameters together, um, and, you know, the good thing is, as we said, it doesn't re really require a lot of different leads or a lot of different wires to go in the patient's body to get all of this stuff. Um, when you analyze all of this, you can see whether or not a person has sleep apnea. Um, a patient uh, what Dr. Duick said before is what my company does, Home Sleep. We send the device directly to the patient. Um, they put the device on for one night, uh, ship it back to us. The data gets analyzed in our lab. 
Um, we have a technologist who look at the data before I look at it myself, um, and we can come up with an interpretation very quickly. Um, and that's another advantage of doing home sleep studies is that um, it's a very efficient process, and the doctors or the dentists, whoever's looking for these results, can get them back very quickly. Um, when a patient used to go to the sleep lab, um, sometimes the whole process of getting the data scored, interpreted by the doctor, could take weeks, and that would delay the treatment diagnosis and treatment process. Um, and so um, I think I've covered those bases, uh, um, as, you know, and that's pretty much what, what home sleep testing does, and this is why patients really enjoy it, because it, it makes it a lot more convenient for them. Now. I, I, one other thing that I think is important to, to ask about, and that is you mentioned that the insurance companies are accepting it. Yes, But yes. What, what happens with with insurance companies and, you know, you're saying, okay, they, they, they accept it. How do they cover for this? Are they, are they paying so, for it? Does the patient have to pay for it? How does that usually work? Uh, okay, so the insurance companies uh, are obviously very financially minded, but they do realize that because sleep apnea contributes to so many different secondary health issues, um, they are more than happy to pay for testing and for treatment of sleep apnea because it prevents secondary chronic conditions that we talked about, such as diabetes, high blood pressure, etc., um, that will end up costing the insurance companies more to treat years down the line. Um, so the insurance companies will cover these tests. Um, every insurance does. Um, a patient may have a small copay, um, depending on what kind of plan they have or not. And uh, the insurance companies, again, as, as we already said, are mandating um, home sleep testing over uh, lab testing, um, you know, because it's been proven to be just literally just as good as, as being tested in the lab and in some cases better because the patients sleep better in their own bed. So what, what cases would you say are cases where the patient does have to sleep in the laboratory? There are a few cases where it certainly makes a lot of sense for a patient to still go to the sleep lab. Um, if you're looking at something that is not sleep apnea, that is not breathing related, such as a condition called narcolepsy, where a patient, um, you know, usually that's more in younger people who are falling asleep a lot but don't have snoring. Um, when you're looking at uh, things like restless legs um, and you want to evaluate that a little bit more closely or there are certain parasomnias or conditions where you know, somebody will do odd things in the middle of the night, um, those things are probably better evaluated in the sleep lab uh, with a camera. In addition, in patients who are suspected of having sleep apnea but have very severe heart disease, have very advanced congestive heart failure, um, require you know, oxygen at home, those patients may be better observed in the sleep lab. Right. So, you know, you mentioned uh, the different uh, disorders besides sleep apnea. I know that the, probably the most frightening one to me is when, when we're dreaming, that time that we're in REM sleep, that we're in that dreaming stage, we're supposed sure. to be paralyzed. Correct. So when somebody has a disorder where they're not 
It's such a frightening thing. They start to act out their dreams physically. Absolutely. And that's, not, that's uh, called REM sleep behavior disorder. And that's exactly as you said. That's a condition where instead of being paralyzed while we're dreaming, a person is not paralyzed and they may act out their dreams. And often, um, sadly, it, a lot of times they're actually violent dreams that patients will punch and kick in their sleep and may end up injuring you know, their, their bedmate or themselves. Uh, and so that's a very serious condition. It's been linked to some neurological conditions such as Parkinson's disease. Um, fortunately, it is a fairly rare disorder. Baruch Hashem, that's true. So, yeah. so we have a, a great convenience here in being able to get this sleep study done at home and get a diagnosis. Then, for some people, a CPAP, a machine that blows air into their nose if they have sleep apnea will give them the relief that they need. And for a lot of people, what I do every day is we make oral appliances. So you could talk a little bit, if you would, about CPAP and why CPAP is really such an important player in this field and how it was developed and what, what, what exactly it is. Sure. So CPAP is, um, is, it's four letters, C-P-A-P. It stands for, it's an acronym. It stands for Continuous Positive Airway Pressure. Um, it is something that was developed back in the 1970s. And really, the technology has not changed much at all since then. Um, all it is is a device that uses room air uh, and pressurizes that air and then blows it um, through a hose, and then that hose is connected to a mask. Uh, that will then blow air into the nose or the nose and the mouth sometimes, um, and that will that positive pressure will allow the airways to stay open as we sleep. It will prevent them from collapsing uh, during sleep. It's a very simple concept. Sometimes I, you know, it's analogous to almost a leaf blower. Um, it's just that it's simple air, and it just keeps your airways open. Um, because it's so simple and effective if used properly and consistently, it has remained to some degree the gold standard in the sleep world uh, for many years now. Um, of course, the issues with CPAP are it's you know, the fact that it's, it's not natural for a person to normally go to sleep with a mask on. It's not normal to have air being blown into your face and into your nose as you sleep. And so while some people tolerate it well and do sleep well on it, many, many people do not. And um, that's where alternative um, treatment options uh, such as uh, oral appliances, which I'm sure we're going to cover a little bit, um, are um, very useful for such patients. You know, I know that a lot of patients ask me, you know, when we talk about the, the options of CPAP, the Continuous Positive Airway Pressure Machine fa Face Mask, and the oral appliances, they tell me, well, how long do I have to use this? <laughs> and I, I get that question all the time. And, well, um, it could be, a, you know, it could be a long-term treatment. It's a chronic disease. Just as, uh, you know, the analogy that I have used with my patient is, with my patients is, well, you have high blood pressure. How long do you have to take blood pressure medication for? Could be for many years. Could be, you know, for the rest of your life potentially. You know, we hope um, that if you're overweight and you lose the weight, the sleep apnea may improve. It may disappear. However, 
you know, as long as you're symptomatic, it's something that should be treated because um, the CPAP, the oral appliances, they are symptomatic treatments. They will treat you as you sleep. And so when you're not using those treatments, unfortunately, you're going to continue to have problems with your breathing. So you did mention oral appliances, and that's really what I'm doing every day. So I, I think it, we, we do want to spend a couple of minutes just talking about why oral appliances even work altogether. A lot of people don't even understand, how is this thing, you're putting in a bite guard in my mouth, right. and this thing is, is helping me. So... You know, from from my point of view, they say, well, yeah, of course you like them because you're a dentist, but right. you're you're a neurologist, you're a sleep medicine specialist. What do you see in terms of the comparison between oral appliances and the CPAP? Um, so, from my perspective and from what I know um, and what I have seen, the way oral appliances work is um, they, you know, most oral appliances would thrust the lower jaw forward as a, you know, when they're put in properly. Uh, by thrusting the lower jaw forward, there's really two main effects that occur. The airways open up a little bit more, uh, and this is similar to what somebody does when, uh, when a, you know, if, you're, if you've ever taken a CPR class, um, you're always taught to thrust the lower jaw forward when you first start CPR, and the reason being it opens up the airway. And also, by having that device in there, throughout the night, it actually increases the muscle tone um, in some of the muscles that control airway tone. And so if those muscles are working well and uh, during sleep, then it's less likely that the airways will sort of um, uh, collapse. Um, And uh, studies have shown for many years now that um, oral appliances are very effective for some patients. Um, They're most effective for most uh, in cases of mild and moderate sleep apnea. However, I have seen cases where uh, they have worked in severe apnea as well. And when I say mild, moderate, severe, that's really uh, a range of sleep apnea has a range, and it depends on, you know, the number of uh, times per hour of sleep that a person stops breathing is how uh, the severity of apnea is defined. But again, the appliances work very well in many patients, and that is why, um, you know, I myself and, you know, Home Sleep Works has a very large, you know, network of dentists around the country uh, and, uh, of course, Brooklyn, uh, because, um, you know, dentists have come to realize that um, patients have a need, and because they, you know, a lot of these people with sleep apnea uh, getting diagnosed now. Um, do not want to use CPAP or can't use CPAP. And so it, the oral appliances are very important. Great, great. So so let, let's summarize a little bit for our listeners. Uh, if you just joined us, it's Health Watch Radio. I'm your host every week, Dr. Jacques Dweck. Our special guest tonight is Dr. Lev Grinman. He's board certified in sleep medicine and neurology. And really, besides talking about sleep apnea and snoring and being tired, our focus tonight was talking about home sleep studies as a more comfortable and uh, a more accepted way for people to get the test that they need in order to be diagnosed. And that test would either have to be done in a hospital or a laboratory, or in the case of sleep, they're able to get it delivered to their home. And usually what we do is we will fill out the, the documents after we do our, our screening exam. We'll fill out the documents that are needed, send them to Dr. Grinman. He'll determine if that patient is 
indeed a candidate to have a home sleep study and then send the test device to their home in a very simple to read instructional and the patients so far I've really had no patients that have told me that they couldn't use the the device it was very straightforward they did the sleep study at home put it back in the box put it in the mailbox it got to Dr. Grinman he had the technicians uh, score it he made a diagnosis and we get the report and then from there for for us most of our patients who are qualified for oral appliances we make them an oral appliance and there are some patients that are supposed to have the, the CPAP as the first ch choice, and we will appropriately send them to have a CPAP fitted. And if they can work with the CPAP, then that's great. And if not, we will then try and make them an oral appliance, which we're having a, a very high success rate with. So the, the big thing here is if you know somebody that is snoring or if you yourself are snoring, you're tired all the time, or you know that you're having trouble with weight loss or you're having trouble because you're on multiple medications, as Dr. Grinman mentioned, multiple medications for high blood pressure and it's not really controlling it, well, maybe what we have to look into is maybe your sleep is not being healthy enough. And the best way to find that out is with a sleep study and the most convenient way that we're finding for all our patients is with home sleeps uh, process where it's delivered to their home, they're able to do the home sleep study at home, and then be able to get the diagnosis that they need. So if, if somebody's really interested and they want to contact me, they can contact me at my office, 718-83-SNORING, uh, I'm sorry, 718-339-7982. We also have an alternative number. It's 1-800-83-SNORING. It's 1-800-83-SNORING. Or you can even call Dr. Grinman's uh, place directly. It's uh, 201-967-1111. That's home sleep at 201-967-1111. And if you're a dentist and you're listening and you want to find out about how you can work with home sleep, so give them a call yourselves, 201-967-1111. And Dr. Grinman's team will be able to help you. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Re really appreciate it. Of course, it's always a pleasure to talking to you. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you.